Greetings, nerds. This is Cena Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me, as always, is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing today, Will? I'm doing very well this afternoon, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, it's been a while since we last recorded. I know. I know. We were just uh, trying to put the timeline together, back together. You know, Barry Allen just has a way of blowing things up, so you just never know if it was yesterday or in the future or in the past. Yeah, I don't know if it's Barry Allen anymore. I mean, I think that there's been more Arrow headlines lately than anything else. Yeah, yeah, there has been. Well, except for Grant Gustin vaping on the plane, but, you know. Yeah, we don't talk about that. (laughs) We we won't go there. (laughs) You did go there. I'm just (laughs) Yeah, no, we won't go into it any further other than saying, hey, it happened, and, yeah, so, and, and the show wrapped, so. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That show wrapped. Arrow's wrapping. Emily Bed is wrapping. Um and and that was the big news is that yeah. like very I, I I think it's fascinating the timeline of events because you have um you have them announce that they season last season, ten mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. And that's and then a week later, you have Emily announce, like, not only is that is the show going to stop after the season, but I'm actually not going to even go into being a regular on this a season. And, and so I just I thought that was that was odd because usually you get like the cast announcements before they talk anything about the series itself. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was the money. We know that her play she's doing seems to be going to New York. So and she's going to be leading that. Um, and maybe maybe they knew the whole time because I didn't have an emotional reaction to that. I was just thinking about how stupid we were because all of the clues are there in this this season's plot line about everything in 2040 gives indication that she is not around like like nobody knew that she had a kid. So that tells me that something happened like they put her in hiding way before she even started showing like. Yeah. They didn't even realize she was pregnant. <laughs> yep, and only yep, and only only um, Oliver and and Diggle were in the wazer about it. But yeah, yeah which so, of course, I mean, yeah. So in story, it, it makes sense. You're right, and it's it's a shame that we we missed it. But I think uh, yeah, I think there was just with the flash forwards, we were everybody was focusing on story like is she dead or not dead and of course we called it correctly that she was indeed alive in 2040 but but beyond that yeah we out, outside of universe we yeah we completely missed the fact that hey she may not be around for a subsequent season <laughs> right and and i think that we're also focusing on all the ways where the flash forwards won't end up being true <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> And even better, it's Earth yeah, 2 it's, yeah. or Barry correcting the timeline. Any right. like j- little chance that maybe that's not how the how Star City would look in 2040. And yeah. it's like this is just another nail in that coffin. Like, no, they're fully committed to this, mm-hmm. despite all of our like, really, that's that's what happened. How how does that make sense in terms of what the whole point of the series has been since the beginning? was right. making Star City a better place. Yeah, yeah. 
it, it, yeah, so we sh- and even even Beth even teased about the fact that there could be a backdoor. This was a whole backdoor to a possible spinoff, mm-hmm. uh, and so we've had that news as well. So you know, there's a lot, you know, and it and it could very well. I mean, she did sign a a long term deal with WB to develop more shows. So uh, maybe not immediately, but they definitely. Are, are keeping their options open as far as a possible spinoff. Yeah, yeah. In other news, the Joker trailer dropped. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. were your initial thoughts? I, it, it, as you know, I was not very thrilled early on about the the prospect of a Joker film. I uh, felt like uh, the the Venom film with. Joker with no Batman, like Spider-Man, Venom with no Spider-Man. But uh, when I saw that trailer, I guess it was maybe Wednesday or Thursday last week. Oh my gosh, I, I'm I've done a 180. I'm I'm 100% sold on this thing as far mm-hmm. as being a character study. Again, it it gets into the comic book universe as far as yes, there is the possibility of of having. I think in the comic book there is actually three Jokers. And, mm-hmm. um, and with this film, it looks like it's a prequel, uh, where we're seeing Gotham will set in the backdrop of New York. So it's very gritty, Martin Scorsese, 70s New York City vibe to it that, um, I, I'm really, really looking forward to, to this film now. And whereas before I, I wasn't, and it, it could be that kind of prequel story that does lead to, uh, to, to the bat, where the way this trailer sort of played out looks like how he was angry, but then he becomes like the jokes on, jokes on everyone else. And I'm laughing at this torment and how people are treating me. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I guess this is the genius of Joaquin Phoenix and why he's such a phenomenal actor. And, you know, that two and a half minute trailer really sold me on this film. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Um, I think that this is the best production that DC has come out with. Like the, the style, the cinematography, and just the design of Gotham City. It felt more along the line of what Christopher Nolan built. Like there was, you could literally, the images, they felt real. They felt like a real city, um, a real down in the dump city, but just, it felt more like, no, this could actually be a place. And, and I appreciate that because that's my biggest complaint over, um, with a lot of the current DC films is I'm like, it's too much green screen, too much, too much. It just <laughs> takes me out of it. And, and I was, um, I was watching a few different trailer reviews and everybody's, saying the same things. And then this morning I watched Kind of Funny and Kevin Coella actually brought up an idea that ever since I heard it, I'm like, yeah, that's the only way this works. And he said, um, the ending of this movie needs to be that actually this is a story the Joker is telling Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah. That way... The, the purity of the Joker's origin story stays intact mm-hmm. and 
you can make it Jared Leto. You can make it played by somebody else. Whoever is the present Joker, it doesn't have to be Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Like, like this is a one-off, and that's what I keep. So, so when you say prequel, I'm like, yeah, but prequel to what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't like Captain Marvel made so much money, still making money, and works so well because it's a prequel to an actual universe. It's right, a prequel right. to the Avengers themselves, and it's just like, what is this a prequel to? And if it's a one-off, why? Why do you need it? Nobody wants it. Right. Nobody has ever said like, oh, I really want to know the origin, origin story to Joker. No, there's something so pure in that, yeah. not knowing that why would you take that away? And so when when he said that in his analysis, I'm like, yeah, now I'm going to go into that movie. And if they don't do that, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, going to be set up to be disappointed. But I guess it could I mean, as far as this, I, I've heard people complain about origin stories and blah, blah, blah. And there was the uh, story of the killing joke uh, that was written. Oh, I want to say in the late 80s. So that was sort of an origin story for the Joker. So there is that that's out there. So, you know, for some of the folks to complain about that, you know, and I was, I was, I was in that camp in some regards with, again, why do you need a Joker film without Batman? Uh, but again, I think what you just said with the, uh, with the kind of funny folks and, uh, that just makes total sense, and you're right. <laughs> Especially it, yeah. with everything they're doing with Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they're putting a lot of emphasis on her, and they're coming off with, out with the Birds of Prey movie, so to have that twist at the end and have, have Margot Robbie, like, yeah, Suicide Squad did not set up a universe that I care yeah. for. I haven't even yeah. seen it. Yeah. But this yeah. way... Like a film like this and what they presented with the trailer, I'm intrigued with that film and that universe. Mm-hmm. And so you can sort of tie it together. Right. You can. And it, yeah. Well. You can. You can. And then maybe this is how they do it. You're right, though. That is so. I didn't think about that um, with the Harley Quinn angle. And uh, since they have invested so much, this is a way to keep these characters uh with the, with the one-off Joker movie and maybe with this Birds of Prey being a one-off film as well. And all the things going on with Suicide Squad 2, which is not a reboot. It seems that they're going to be doing a continuation of that story. Those all make sense. Right, right. And, and I think just, like, if they do that, this is a true character study. Because I think a lot of us watching that trailer, it's a very good put well put together trailer and it has some good dialogue. Um, there is clearly a story. And I just think like, if you get that twist of the narrative, the narration, you sudden suddenly realize like, this is why he's such an infamous villain character. Um, because he does manipulate others. He mm-hmm. knows how to tell those stories and to make you feel sympathy when really you should be terrified and it's all lies. Like that's what he does. So, so I think it would be a brilliant move. Um, but we'll see what happens for sure. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So okay. this week also, Cloak and Dagger came back for season two. Yeah. Two brand new episodes, um, back to back. I feel like they did that in season one as they did. well. They did. 
And you kind of got that. Like with the first episode, it was a lot of this is how long it's been. This is where these characters are. Um, they're <laughs> they're the worst vigilantes. <laughs> they just really are. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing. Nope. <laughs> that was made abundantly clear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which one do you want to start with? <laughs> uh, what do you mean? As far as who's the worst vigilante, uh, Ty or Tandy? <laughs> yeah, we can we can start with Tyrone. Okay, okay. Yeah, Ty. He. Uh, hmm. Well, I guess just the the series does jump forward a little bit in time. Uh, just you know, set up if to remind folks at the end of the uh, end of season one, they saved the world and. Uh, but also, uh, Ty was framed for, uh, the corrupt cop's murder, so they think he's a cop killer. And so we're left with Tyrone now living in the church, and Tandy has reestablished her connection with her mother, um, and living with, with, with her mom. And so Ty now is the, the one man crusader who is going to take on the drug world. And in New Orleans and in the process of doing so just messes up Detective O'Reilly's and the New Orleans Police Department's efforts to try to end a, a, a potential gang war. And in fact, you know, by his actions, he ends up exacerbating the situation. So, yeah. yeah so and also stumbling upon a, a human trafficking uh, ring as well. Yeah. And and it's. I forgot how well written this show was. <laughs> and then I started watching the first episode and then the second episode just capitalized on it. Yeah. Um, and because you, you have two central characters and so you get to see both perspectives and I like how, um, even though they save the world and they're seven lead team, you, you get the feeling like they, they don't realize how how connected or how much they truly need each other. They think they do. They they have movie nights and everything. Candy's one of the few people who actually know where Ty knows where he is. Um she did not know he was going out there. He didn't realize that she was also doing her own thing. And and then I like how both of those paths intersect and overlap and cross to where, like, no, guys, remember, you are fighting for the same thing. You may not realize it, but you are. You're still on the same path. And and something that I just could not help thinking about during these episodes was, why does Tandy have so much power? Like, she, yeah. I feel like her her power keeps evolving, and I'm like, why can only Tyrone do like one magic trick? Maybe two, because we don't know where where that that cop went right. last season. But but still, it feels very um, imbalanced. It is. It is and unfair. It, it, it is imbalanced, and I think because even throughout season one, if we you're right, her she definitely moved along at a faster pace with controlling and understanding how to use her power. Sometimes by happenstance, like I know uh, there was a situation where she tried to commit suicide in season one. And then she, this, that emotionally being in peril caused her to figure out a way to 
uh, save herself. Uh, there was, and, and this season we saw that again, uh, like when in episode two, when the truck was coming, uh, she figured out how to basically create like a light crystal. And, and of course, then of course, even in season one, and we saw it here in season two, she's able to throw her light daggers and stuff. So I think it's, she might just be, even though she has a lot of trauma in her life with her father, issues with Roxanne, and then of course she thought he was a very heroic figure, but she ends up turning out that her father actually was a domestic abuser. It seems that Sandy is very open to, open to exploring her powers and testing the limits. And even though Tyrone is the, probably the more book smart between the two of them, she's very street smart and, mm-hmm. and a very, and because of that street smarts and very sad, that savviness is, is willing and able to be more free to explore her powers and explore the experiences. And, and so hers, you know, so, so her almost emotional intelligence and everything is actually higher than his. And I think that's, and since their powers are so tied to their emotions and, her, and in some ways she has a better handle on hers than he does, it opens her up to being able to do these things better than he can at this point. Right. I, I don't I don't know if she can do it better because she keeps or, like or maybe, draining power. Yeah, or maybe not better, but maybe she's just you know, as you're saying the imbalance, maybe she's just further along in doing certain things that he can. Maybe, maybe. Um I since you brought up book smarts though, I do have to point out or, or ask the question, what is Tyrone doing studying thermal dynamics? I mean, the kid is on the run from the, the police. Is he really going to apply to college? Yes, he is. I, I don't, I don't understand. Well, no, I think it's very, so Ty in this church, he's trying to hold on to as many quote unquote normal things, at least in his mm-hmm. world that he can. And, prior to all this going down he was on that track of being you know he was the the, the quote-unquote good kid who was doing the right things and you know, he was uh excelled in the classroom he excelled on the on the basketball court so he had all these things going for him and then now because of what happened um with the detective and and being on the run all that has like fallen apart for him so the only thing for him for him Studying and you know, continuing to hit those books not only continues his trying to have some normalcy, but also I think this show is very, they're not afraid of, of, um, taking on issues and, and being very grounded in, in some things. And so Ty being an African American male and obviously his parents in that home really instilled the value of education and everything on him. It just continues that part of his background and his his history as well that, you know, I'm going to get one day become free of this allegation and I've got to I got to stay sharp and be ready for whatever my life brings me after all this. So Mm -hmm. I I think it was just very consistent with his character, why he was sitting there (laughs) studying thermodynamics, which I'm like, man, high school kid, take a thermo wow but uh but it's just consistent with with what we know of him 
Right. No, I, I like that idea of that in light of everything he's trying to retain a sense of normalcy, considering how his life got turned literally upside down. Um, I then, and after thinking about it through that lens, it makes me think maybe by the end of the season or by the end of season three, there's going to be a decision between continuing that path or fully embracing the vigilante lifestyle because it's interesting how how he's trying to retain that normalcy yet he's still going out there every night he's yeah. still following the drug lords because he has he had that very impassioned moment with Tandy where he's like we can't do I can't do nothing like right. I know right. this is going on and I want to I want to do what I what I can to help it's a very Spider-Man moment mm-hmm. It is with the responsibility of having that power. So, so I think that he, he he's going to have to make a decision because, I mean, y- y- you can only do so much. Like, and what really is a priority going yeah. to be for him moving forward? Because, because he's probably going to wind up in more trouble down the line if he continues on what he's doing now. I mean, vigilantes aren't heroes. They're right. not going to get deputized. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. Not, not in this universe. <laughs> oh, not, the yeah. shade. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it's a good juxtaposition to what's going on with Tandy because mm-hmm. part of the reason why she doesn't know what he's doing is he feels like she's now in it's so much of a better place. Yeah, yeah. But what we realize over the course of these two episodes is that she knows how to put up a good front, yeah. but mentally she is more tormented than ever by what happened with her parents' marriage. I mean, there was that great moment in the second episode where she sees her dad in the street yep. and, and, um, Olivia did a great job portraying that moment because she didn't, her facial expression didn't change and you could just see it in her eyes about how terrified she was. Yeah. Yeah, she was definitely terrified in that moment when she saw him coming down the street. And that, I mean, those, those scenes with her, with her torment and her pain and when she's in the, in the support group with the other, uh, survivors really comes out very, very well. And, and also her, I don't know, I won't say brokenness, but her like, her sense of wanting to empower others really and and not taking them from where they are in at, at their place in their journey because she's almost like okay yes i'm a survivor and my mother's a survivor and you know it's and we got through this and and it's almost like a paternal kind of instinct that she has kind of like she has sometimes with ty mm-hmm. where she just ha- takes it upon herself to like want to fix it and and unfortunately, with the the one um, survivor, it ended up backfiring to the point where, you know, she ends up getting kidnapped, taken by the trafficking ring, and um, it ends up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and but again, it was very a very grounding moment with for 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 Tandy to realize that oh, you know, I I'm not all powerful either, and and I'm still, she's still, you know, when she's in the, in the dance studio trying to, you know, work through those, those emotions and feelings, um, and continues to stumble and fall, it's very, you know, it's very grounded that, 
in that and, and, and realize that, you know, it reminds us that these two characters are still kids mm-hmm. and, and they're still growing and still learning. So, I mean, I just, I just really, I didn't realize how much I missed the show until it came back this week and I was really excited for it. And I, and like you said at the very beginning, they're, 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 they're great at storytelling and, and really why this separates this show from some of the others that are out there that, you know, is very grounded, but oh yeah, by the way, these folks have superpowers as well. Right, right. I, so, so they end the first episode with Tandy and Tyrone staking out a, a meetup of all of these drug lords. Mm-hmm. And, and then they, they have planted a device to record the conversation to get Detective O'Reilly what she needs. Mm-hmm. And it ends up in, um, bloodshed and yeah. everybody dies. And, Tyrone and Tandy are very confused. Um, but, but what happens is that's what concludes the first episode. To start the second episode, you, you find this drawing of what we learn is a, a vive, um, which is an invocation or a transactional prayer used to summon a lo- loa. So a question can be answered or a request can be made and I love, I was, first of all, um, how much time did that person have to draw the vive? That's yeah. what I want to know. Um, <laughs> cause that was very articulate and he, I was just like, he's just bleeding out. He's like, bleeding out, yeah. like what is going on? <laughs> um, I get why they did it. Um, but I, but see, this is another thing I forgot about is the voodoo and the spirituality of the show and who Tandy and Tyrone are. I mean, we're not talking about characters who were, who had a particle accelerator explode or were, was sent to an island. These, these two characters, um, are purposely planted in New Orleans. And there's a mythology there that they continue to intertwine with um, where they come from and where their powers come from. Mm-hmm. So so to have that continued is great. Um, I want to know where it takes us. I know it's going to have something to do with mayhem for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked, again, just that moment of um, Tyrone talking with um Avita's aunt about it and her explaining where it comes from and then him also being assigned his like own vive. Um, I forget which one, but it had something to do with being at a crossroads, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so do you th- like originally I thought Mayhem was Mama Brigitte? But do you think by the end we're going to see Mama Brigitte or is that just going to like be more of a myth that is brought up? I think that given that this show dabbles in the supernatural, I think it's probably going to, but, but at the same time still tries to have some grounding. I think it's probably going to be a, a myth. Okay. Fair. Uh, fair. Yeah. Uh, but, but it will, but you know, just like they, but they'll use it like they did in season one to um, build up the construct of the divine pairing. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be the same for mayhem. Okay. Okay. Speaking of mayhem, yeah. what what were your thoughts about Detective O'Reilly and mayhem, who who we learn by the end of the second episode are technically two different. 
people, but yeah. still have the same face. I, I, yeah, so I like that. Uh, I guess, yeah, because we haven't really talked about Bridget much uh, <laughs> at all so far. And so just, again, to, to reset for folks who are uh, maybe it's their first time watching the show, at the end of last season, uh, we, Tyrone and Tandy, save New Orleans and the world from Roxxon. They, they learned that there was this energy, negative, this energy that was, under the city. And so where we left O'Reilly, she got, um, I think she was dumped into the, into the, uh, river, if I recall. Um, I can't remember exactly how she ended up in the swamp, but basically she comes out of the swamp and we, she, we learned that that's where she, she's infused with these powers. And so, uh, when we, when they showed us at the end of this episode that there were actually two, that it was a split. Uh, I was, it, I was, it got me. I, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was like, wow. So, cause all this time I thought it was truly a Jekyll. I figured it was just going to do the normal Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. And we just, you know, what, whatever reason, something triggers it and she becomes into this other, this mayhem persona. But when it was actually two separate individuals, uh, there's so much they could play with that. Right. Uh, and because when we find, uh, I'll say Brid- Bridget one, uh, we find a person who is definitely traumatized, has a lot of PTSD. She's trying to work her way back from all the things that happened from her boyfriend getting murdered to the, uh, just things that happened at the end of first season. And, and then we, you know, we get this character of mayhem that is unveiled with, uh, went in that, in that scene with, the, in the parking with, well, I guess there was that moment where she was looking in the reflective pool. Yep. It, it was the bar. Yeah. She, she, yeah. Bridget went out drinking, got, yeah. gets wasted, and then yeah. she stumbles out of the bar, and then yeah. you, you think that she's envisioning, having a vision of this other other person who looks like her sounds like her but isn't um but no it's actually mayhem and mayhem ties her up and then goes out and tries to play detective yeah yes with uh very with very uh judge jury and executioner results <laughs> mind you. Yeah, yeah which i mean it's funny how you let it with like how her name is bridget which sounds a lot like brigitte mm-hmm so, so we're gonna, we're gonna definitely, Mama Bridget is at play here. I don't know if, if that's who Mayhem is, like a real name for Mayhem, but, um, or maybe Mayhem's just a follower of Mama Bridget for all we know. And, and also as you were talking about what's going on with Detective O'Reilly, it made me think about how this is a much better way to portray the duality. Mm-hmm. And that's what this show often does. It's the duality of these characters, Tyrone and Tandy being um being opposite sides of that same coin. Um and now you get that with Detective O'Reilly as well, who's kind of facing um a, a reflection, probably a fl- reflection she doesn't recognize clearly, but um is still part of part of her, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so we're going to we're going to talk about Doom Patrol, but 
I want to say, like, the second episode, it does a narrative change that, again, I forget how well this show is written, but having that retaining the multiple perceptions of the same day mm-hmm. and just having that that replay again and again and again, um, I think Doom Patrol did it better, though. And because yeah. Doom Patrol recently had an episode very that's constructed very similar to that, but I think in the end Doom Patrol pulled it off better. Um, and not to say that that what Cloak and Dagger did was awful. No, no, no. it just it just if I'm comparing both of them, yeah. there there's a clear winner in my opinion based on how they ended it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and to be fair, I mean this is only the second episode of of um season two for cloak and dagger but i i would agree with you that uh, so far doom Doom patrol definitely has pulled this um narrative through the multiple perspectives much better i I would agree there yeah 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 the the therapy the therapy episode is genius i loved it i I thought it was so clever. It was so good. It was so engaging and it does, does get this show back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of had a rocky middle of the season for yeah, me. Um, where I just started to lose interest, but I, I love how they start with Rita and she's literally stuck in a furnace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Yeah. And, but she's worried about rats. <laughs> worried about rats. Don't forget that. Hold on to the rat. And the, the, yeah, remember the rat. <laughs> and then you have Larry just being Larry. You have Jane, who's also working through some daddy issues mm-hmm. with the chief. And then I, I forgot about um, Cyborg and what he's dealing with in the terms of what when they went – when there he went through like Mr. Nobody Land, I don't know yeah. what we want to call this anymore. Yeah. And um, he see he he remembers how he got to where he is now, and it all it all was based off of him killing his mom. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot to work through that he still has then. And and then Cliff is just brilliant. Like this was a Cliff episode. Like I loved it. I love how he. He, he's, he's, he's mad because, um, his daughter has a father, um, who was his best friend. Um, and he, he suddenly finds the need to do therapy with everyone and yeah. he should never be a counselor. <laughs> never. <laughs> Even though he was the main one calling for it, it was just, but you're just to, to explain. Brendan Fraser did his voice work for, for Cliff, and I, I can't remember the actor who does the actual body work for uh, uh, Cliff, uh, Robot Man, but it's just a tour de force as far as just everything. Uh, to convey emotions in a armored Robot Man suit and the, the voice work, and yeah, I mean, Cliff should not be leading a therapy. He, he has the best side manner of, of like an animal. <laughs> when Vic says, I killed my mom, Cliff is happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yay. yay. That's what we, thank you. Bread and butter. Okay. We're getting somewhere now. And it's like, no. Yeah. no. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, he he just wanted more baggage from everybody, and it was yeah. like bring it, it to like, me, bring it to me, more, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even even though at the end of the day, um, this is exactly what they needed. Like everybody, everybody's been sort of on their own journeys, not realizing that they are a team with a common goal and yeah. how they need to understand where each other is. And yeah. and I thought that was so great. It is great. And and I know we both, uh, we haven't mentioned it here on the podcast, but I know just talking offline as far as how we kind of felt the series was meandering a little bit. And uh, it was some hard episodes, especially when they um, – but but I think the one episode that uh, it was hard for me to get through, but I'm glad that I did, was with the original Doom Patrol mm-hmm. and their their mental issues and and the issue and the fact that they didn't work through them and how Mister Nobody actually used that against them to cause that team to implode. Right. Whereas this, uh, you know, so it so I think. One of the reasons why Therapy Patrol works so well, not only because of the multiple perspectives and this, the, 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 the cathartic nature of all these characters just downloading everything um, in, in, in that session, even with, even with Cliff's terrible bedside manner. It, it, it was necessary for them to do that, to basically expose their vulnerabilities to each other in order to, because we, because at the end of the day, we we have to remember, they're still they're still building themselves up as a team. They're they're not there yet, mm-hmm. and so showing how that team from the with not you know the failures of the other team and how Mister Nobody was able to conquer them, I think Therapy Patrol works because we see by them doing this and their own ass backward fighting way and uh, how cliff is only like 164th of jane at this point it's <laughs> it's necessary for it to happen so that oh, they yeah. can they can grow and then become to really trust one another right i so so we're giving cliff a really hard time i would argue that jane has a worse bedside manner than he does oh yeah, oh, um, yeah. because he she calls it out that he'll He'll never be a father because he isn't a real man. And, mm-hmm. and that's the truth of the matter. Like you cannot be her father anymore. This, that's a dream that died literally. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's where the comment of I only like 164th of you, which, which is true in yeah. a way. I mean, mm-hmm. anytime Jane changes to another persona and Cliff, Cliff tries to revert back to Jane and we, which again, is part of the reason why I think this episode works so well, um, besides everything that you just you just stated, um, is really like I, I love Jane and Cliff when yeah. they get at it together. They they just there's such great chemistry between those two characters, and and they're both um, they both like to sit, tell it how it is, and um, I think that like there's so much good writing when they're on screen yeah it, it is it is i mean they we see that both in therapy patrol and then later and the uh, next episode of uh um um danny 
Danny Patrol. Um, Danny! <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that the, the relation, that father-daughter dynamic, the the pairing that those two have, and and you talk about people knowing each other's vulnerabilities, and Jane to just just drop that and just 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 basically rip out Cliff's heart by saying that. Um, yeah, you're right. She she definitely has the worst bedside there, manner as far as the, the therapy session. Um, and I, I want to go back to Vic a little bit too because I know we haven't talked about him him much. Uh, I was you know one of the things I, actually I liked his journey. I enjoyed his journey the most on Therapy Patrol because in that he you know he's he comes to the team. The, the Justice League member who is hero and we, you know, even, even in, even in Danny Patrol, Larry like calls him out on it, you know, you're Mr. Hero. And, and so to see his backstory as far as the feelings of responsibility for his, the, the loss of his mother and, but also fast forward to, uh, again, a good way of trying to ground the show in reality of him being a young adult and trying to do things like date and hit. It was very funny. Like with the, with the, uh, I laughed. I have some laugh out loud moments with the, with the Tinder. Yes. App. <laughs> and try and, and trying to date and, you know, swiping through and, you know, when folks found out he was cyborg, he had all the hangers on and you know, the things that heroes would quote unquote have to deal with that they were trying to have a romantic life. And, and then, but when he did find someone and then he like was like spying on her on the bus and it reminded you of, it, it really gave a good, for me at least, understanding as far as how Vic, what a difficult life Vic has because he is this man machine and at the one hand he's like, trying to have a normal life. But on the other hand, he's like literally having the ability to cyber stalk someone in a very creepy kind of way that it's just, and then it's also, you have this, this, his father in the background who is also monitoring everything that he does. And he has like no privacy or no sense of, you know, alone, you know, alone moments or whatever, because of his, his, the way he's constructed. So, it, you know, Vic, Vic has a lot of issues himself that it seems that we're just scratching the surface on. Well, especially what also Jane does during the therapy ses- session is reveals her portrait that shows him killing all of the Doom Patrol members. And in a very similar way of what happened to his mom. So, I, I like how they took the character who is the quote unquote normal hero. Yeah. Um, and he may, he may be the one to kill them all. He, yeah. He's destined to do something that he doesn't want to. And, and so I like how they put that burden on him. Um, and, and they did that probably so he could work through what happened to, with his mom and how he got his powers to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 then really, who stole the show was the rat oh, yeah. at the end. Um, the <laughs> because this is what this show does. Like I, I you you know something is wrong with Cliff, 
what you don't realize is that at the very beginning of the episode, Mr. Nobody, he, he has one of those narrator moments and he talks, convinces this rat like, hey, um, they just killed your mom. Um, go and fuck them up. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he does. And he gets into Cliff's system and, and, and screws it all up. And it's just, it was, it was so perfect to have that end because this show, this episode was already good. And then they just elevated with two minutes of screen time to yep. great, if not perfection. Yep. And I was just like, that, that's beautiful. That was, that was, uh, it was totally beautiful. And I, yeah, I can't say anything more than, the, than what you just said about it. it. It's just an amazing moment, but that's what makes Doom Patrol, why we like this show so much. Yeah. And, and, and I like how Cliff and Jane get into that, that heated debate and he says the, the infamous 164th of Jane, which, which leads into the next episode with Danny, um, because while Larry and Vic are, are um, figuring out Danny and and trying to control that situation. She, um, Cliff and and um, Rita, Rita are off to protect Jane from another one of her identities by the name of Karen, <laughs> who is the girl from every romantic comedy that is creepy as fuck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which which makes sense like yeah. there's something to be said about how these writers are utilizing all 64 personalities of jane in a way that is telling one complete story yeah yeah like that's talk about a hard hard thing to pull off but it made complete sense why with what occurred why this personality resurfaced yeah, it does. It does. And God, it, that, the Karen, it, it, any of those like creepy rom-coms that you, that you just referenced that watched it, we all, we've all seen them and Diane Guerrero plays this, that Karen character to a fault, that type of, um, yeah, character. And I think, you know, Rita was in a very interesting place trying to pull Jane out because because um, Jane, the volatile character, I guess, being that it is, and, and Rita still, you know, working through her own issues as far as trying to find herself and her purpose, uh, trying to help Jane with this insidious, this, this Karen who is probably, probably one of the more dangerous types of, uh, of the person, six, how many, like 64 personalities that, that, that Jane has. Um, it was, I, I'm glad they paired them, them off initially, uh, and showing how this was just wrong. And, you know, it was very, the, one of the things that stood out to me with, with what Rita, uh, told her, told Karen was, will this person, uh, I can't remember the, the guys, the, the, hapless love interest, will he really truly love her without the, you know, psycho powers that Karen was using to control him? I mean, take that away. Will he, will he really love you? And that was, 
for Rita to say that, because especially given where Rita's coming from and trying to find her own belonging and her own sense of, of self and telling that to, to Karen was, was very important to me in to show how insidious this character actually, uh, this personality is as far as, uh, and dangerous how for Karen is. You know, Rita is a, she's a character who I'm slowly figuring out. Um, she, she doesn't always get her due. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the character of Rita, but what I'm noticing is she's a very much lives up to her name and she can, she's very elastical because you pair her up with a character and suddenly you're like, that is an interesting dynamic. Like early on in the season, her and Larry got paired up a lot. Those two are great because they're so, they're, they're very much kindred spirits. They come from another decade. They come from another time. They both have self-hatred and, and being what they are now, it's even more on a forefront. All of those nasty, um, under, undeserving of, um, trying to have a normal life. Excuse me. And, and now with the fact that Rita gets paired up with Jane, I'm like, why, why isn't there more of you two together? Because I mean, Cliff and Jane have the father die, um, daughter dynamic, but Rita and Jane are like, sometimes they're sisters, Mm -hmm. like Rita's older sister, and sometimes it's the mother daughter. And you're just like, these two also have really good, they bring out something in each other that is so refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about with therapy patrol in that by having all these pairings, one with each character having a episode with one another, it it builds that sense of team. And even though they are very dysfunctional and very um, abnormal in their behavior, sometimes at the end of the day, I could see where they're building and how they're building this because they're going to need to be, they, again, as I said before, they, they're going to have to trust one another so that Mr. Nobody can't turn all those things that they're like fighting through and struggling through right now against them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I like how how um, Danny, mm-hmm. um, we we spent a lot of time with Vic and and Larry, who I don't think we've had that pairing before. And they also um, have. They didn't spend as much time. This was more of a Larry centric because we finally figure out, um, what's with that, um, that badge he always is looking at and Mm -hmm. it's from his past. And we realize, um, it's from the department of the Bureau of Normalcy. Yeah. I like how the bureau is after some street, and yeah. yet they haven't stumbled upon this house where all of these weird, wacky people are living. No, yeah. talk about unnormal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it was a very, there was a lot of um, political um, parallels brought up in in what the bureau of normalcy represented, as well as what Danny and his street, his town, whatever you want to call it, um, represents. Especially right. when you have you have the opening of the soldier who gets lost, and then you realize, like walking through those streets, he found a home because 
he can be a she and he can and she can live that life um how she wants to and and some great moments with Larry. I love how they they think they make you think he's embracing who he's always wanted to be and right. have this moment of we we can do this together. Um I yeah. I'm part of this and and yet he ended up not taking the mic. He he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it, yeah. And I, I love that scene. That was just it was just if it, it, again it was that feel you know where's it should get dark and but also has that that lightness and moment and that was just a very empowering moment that you know anyone watching that if you're feeling some feeling down about yourself or your identity or, or whatever it, you know da- basically Danny the street was a you know a place where where Morris the agent was able to find himself and and it seemed to like you said. Larry was getting there too, but at that moment he still wasn't really able to do so until we until we had the the, the final act on, on Danny the Street where Danny was where when Morris comes out and he was like I got to go back and then of course the be real normalcy finds them and they have that that showdown in the middle of the street and and Larry did finally take the mic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, it's it's another um, great episode of this show. Um, I I, these two back to back. I'm so glad I waited um, because I actually watched them same day, almost back to back, and they they lead into each other so much that I'm I'm so glad I didn't spend a week being like, oh, I wonder what happens next. and that's what I'm learning about these shows. Sometimes they work better if you do. Um, watch two back to back because Doom Patrol has been doing this in particular where they like do story arcs, mm-hmm. um, rather than one-offs. Um, Titans. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah. let's, okay, I'm gonna go there now. So, so Titans would just do episode one, one-off, episode two, one-off, episode three, and it's like, where's, what's happening and then this show it's like okay like there's there's these two back to back these two it's it's much more um the threads continue into the later episodes rather than it just being a complete Mm -hmm, mm one-off yep exactly exactly and therapy patrol it was kind you know it could be viewed as a bottle show but it really is not you're right if you watch Therapy Patrol and Danny the Street back to back. They really are a seamless. They are a continuation of one another. Right, right, a- absolutely. Like yes, because it's all located in with the mansion. It's it's very much a a bottled episode. But at the same time, you don't get the character moments you get in Danny's um, Danny Patrol without that build up. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with what happens with Jane. Yeah. Like that, that just comes out of nowhere then. So what was the point? Yep. 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 All right. Well, I think that is it for us today. Will, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at Will M. Polk, W-I-L-L-M-P-O-L-K. And you can find me at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please follow our crew on Twitter at Scene and Nerd. Friend us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, but most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. 
Good night, geek out. You're welcome.